Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to the Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I am your host for today, Charlie Miller. And uh, switching seats today, joining us on the podcast, uh, Clay Wright. As a guest, what do you think of that? Oh, man. I uh, don't like that you made me sit on the couch. I feel totally out of my element now. I like it. I sit a little higher, so I kind of look down. I see why you like this chair. You look down at your guests. When when Jim is sitting here, he's so much taller than me. It's true. It's eye to eye. Yeah, we're still eye to eye, but now I'm like sinking into the couch. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands because I don't have armrests. It's true. Now you know how we feel down there on the couch. When you have I know, us. I'm going to have to like, re- like adjust myself. It's good, man. Good Here stuff. Go. So I, I just want to hear, man. You, you haven't preached in a while. It was so yeah. good. I, and I, I took God a lot from your message, so I appreciated it. But what, what if you like to preach, man? Be back uh, up there. It was good. Um, it, it did feel really good. I normally feel um, honestly really tired mm-hmm. after I preach. I know that there are some people who they finish preaching and they're like super energized. Like I, I recently watched the movie jesus revolution and in that movie a guy named greg laurie who mm-hmm. has connections with my wife's home church uh so i know he's like a real person so in the movie he's like a teenager and he gets asked to do a guest preaching spot you know never you know never been to seminary recent you know convert to christianity and he uh speaks to these kids and afterwards they cut to the shot of him being like, Oh my gosh, that was the most exhilarating experience I've ever had. That was, you know, that was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. And I was like, Oh man, I maybe one day that's how I'll feel about, you know, preaching. But I, honestly, it's, I, it's, it's tiring. And yet, uh, I just actually posted about this on Facebook cause I do Facebook now, I guess. Um, it's one of the greatest privileges of yeah. my life, uh, getting mm-hmm. to speak, and I think it's in first Peter, it says that anyone who teaches should speak as though they're speaking the very words of God. Mm. And that's why it's hard and draining. And that's mm-hmm. also why it's such a great privilege mm-hmm. because I do believe that God wants to use the preaching of the word to change people. And to, to get to be a part of that in that way is so, um, magical is not the right word. It's so fantastic you know, so I, I do love it and, you know, not love it at the same time. You, do, I mean, <laughs> you, you look like a natural up there and you, you did such a great job. You're gifted, man. And, and I, I know you were nervous leading up to it. Sorry to, sh- to show behind the curtain, but you didn't look like you were nervous on, on stage. So well done. I'm glad. Yeah, Thank you. Well done, man. Yeah, there's there's something really uh, interesting for me that happens when I walk up the steps, mm. uh, because a lot of for me, a lot of the anxiety, I guess, comes from wanting to make the most out of the time that I have. And so once I'm up there, I'm like, all right, Lord, this is, this is yeah. yours now. It's yours. <laughs> and Good. so that always, you know, that, that I, I'm almost never nervous on stage. I'm most nervous like Sunday morning at eight fifty five. I can relate, man. The first sermon I did, I sh- I shook the whole time. I was nervous when I was young, <laughs> you know, in college. Yeah. I shook the whole time during my message, but I'm at that point now too. I'll, I'll lose sleep the night before or, mm-hmm. you know, wake up with a racing heart rate in the morning or whatever. But once you're on stage, just the sky gives you that, that sustained energy for and sure. focus that you need. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know, the Holy spirit, you know, we just came out of that series of Holy spirit and, it, and it's true. Even in preaching, the Holy spirit is there to give us that, 
uh, that edge and that mm-hmm. almost like an unfair advantage. And yeah. so we're in, carried along by the Holy Spirit. We're able to, to speak the words of God. Totally. It's a, a beautiful thing. So. And, and I would say as well, I think the audience does matter. Like, yeah. I think that there are some crowds that I would be more nervous to preach to. Mm. And I'm so thankful for the reception that I've had. It was so funny in, in the passage that I was preaching on Jesus as a prophet is not uh, accepted in his hometown. And I've, you know, as I was studying, I read a lot of people and I listened to a lot of people who equated that to their experience mm. coming home and pastoring in their hometown. Interesting. Um, which, you know, it, it's fair to their experience, <clears throat> but it's not true necessarily to mine. Mm. Um, so I've, I felt very received and I know that the, the people at church of the open door, are hungry to to hear the word the the vast majority or yeah. or a good number and so that's always really encouraging such a blessing yeah we're we're blessed man we really are so I, I gotta ask I gotta know right off the bat do you really keep uh, seventy two hours <laughs> worth of food and water in your car at all times I do uh, I do actually um, I started this so the only thing you're just a regular prepper aren't you man well I, well I love it. a little bit. I, yeah, so I have like a 72 hour bag that I keep in my car. Uh It's got freeze dried food. And then I keep uh, like seven, you know, 12 ounce water bottles in the back of my car. Just, just in case, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, just because I, when I was growing up, I was really into survival stuff. And so that's kind of segued itself into being like, well, you know, COVID happened and that was kind of strange and. Maybe just have some around. Yeah, a go back. You never know, man. <laughs> yeah. And then, and you, you know, you're talking about the warning signs, you know, whether you can ignore them or not, some that you can afford to ignore. And then you talked about in passing, you said this, you said, and I may or may not have ended up on the side of the road a couple of times. So mm-hmm. I got to know. I've been part of one of them. Yes. I was, I was part of one of those stories. But tell me, what was the, uh, what was your greatest fail with your car? Oh, man. The joy of driving a clunker. Am I right? Yeah. So I've had some really bad experiences like this not not like nightmarish experiences um but i have been stranded on the side of the road because my the red oil light came on which means that you know that's not a good situation to be in i I really don't know very much Mm. that can help anyone about cars i just i know enough to make jokes about it (laughs) which was helpful but um I would say the worst experience I had was actually not in my Toyota Corolla. It was Mm. in my dad's Jaguar. So I was driving. My dad let me borrow his car because I needed to go drive somewhere. And I didn't have a car at that point. And it was in the middle of winter in Lorain County. And it was this sloshy, yucky, sleeting kind of weather. Yeah. And I hit a massive pothole on my way to where I was going. And kept driving, no problem. On my way home, I was cresting the hill on 113, headed towards 57, like the intersection with 57. Yeah. And on my way up, I thought that like a grenade went off under my car or like the transition dropped out. Like like I said, I don't know oh, anything about cars. What had happened was... It was a boom? Yeah, it was a boom. So the the tire exploded and it took off a part of the body panel of the car 
And I was like, I'd never changed a tire before in my life. I was a teenager. It was horrible weather. And I was just totally stranded on the side of the road. Wow. Um, Hence the go bag. Yeah. Hence the go bag. Right. That's (laughs) yeah. I I keep some warm clothes in there. Wow. Just such an occasion. So uh, my dad, I think my dad ended up coming and bailing me out and I paid very close attention on how to change a tire. And I have changed three or four tires. tires. (laughs) So that was, that was probably, that's a standout. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. What a story. Does he still have that car? No, no. Uh, he, you know, he hasn't had that car for a while. Yeah. Yeah. He, he got it fixed and drove it for a little while. Actually, I think he sold it to one of my brothers for a hot minute Okay, and then it transitioned out of the family. So good. Good. Well, let's dive in, man. Uh, we started a new series. Yes. And uh, all about getting to know Jesus and uh, what that looks like. I'm excited mm. as we keep working uh, through the book of Luke. And we start looking at some of these these narrative stories of, of things that are happening with Jesus. And uh, the focus now is, is has shifted now to Christ's ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, leading up to this, it was his birth. It was his early childhood. And there were a lot of uh, long events that were packed into one verse. You know, right. you'd read one verse and it would be like a five-year, ten-year verse. Or like, oh, wow, now Jesus is a little kid. Oh, now now <laughs> Jesus is this old, you know. And um, now we're at, at a point where we're working through some of these stories that carries us through the rest of the book towards, um, obviously, the crucifixion. It's, it's Christ's ministry. It's what he came here to do. And so now we're beginning to see this beautiful picture of, of the God-man living among the people. Right. And uh, so... Here we are. We're diving in. So here's here's my first question for you. Um, it, it's something you said. It said this. You said we can't afford to ignore getting to know Jesus. He is real and true and demands a response from us. Hmm. I want you to unpack that statement. You said that right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Unpack that. He demands it demands a response from us. You can't ignore getting to know Jesus. Yeah. So for me, at least, as I was writing my introduction, one of the sources that I didn't quote, but that was definitely at work behind that is Tim Keller. So mm-hmm. I wrote a class for uh, Church of the Open Door maybe two or three years ago. And as a part of that class, we were talking about the nature of truth, yeah. the nature of reality, um, because the fact that there are things that are true mm-hmm. and that are real um, is not universally accepted. And Tim Keller um, who actually died recently, uh, was such a great man of faith, a great leader and pastor, mm-hmm. a great model of what it looks like to be a pastor theologian who's engaging the culture with the truth of the gospel. Yeah. Um, he, he has a video that unpacks his book, The Reason for God. And in one of the episodes of that series, he uses the example of the tree in the middle of the road to talk about the the Christian view of reality. Mm. And that is such that, you know, nobody denies, at least to some extent, or very few people deny a physical reality, right? Mm. That there are, you know, you're sitting across from me. That's scientifically verifiable. Mm. I can come over and touch you and make sure you're actually there. But, um, uh, and that's what the the tree illustration Mm. demonstrates is Mm. that if there's a tree in the middle of the road, you're not going to pretend like it's not there and try to drive through it. At least no one in their right mind would do that. Mm -hmm. We all recognize at some level things are real and true and you have to respond to them. The problem is, is when it comes to morality, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to things that you can't directly Mm. touch and see and feel with your body, um, people don't agree as much on what is real and true and good. And 
so Tim Keller would say that in the same way that there's this reality in the physical world, Christians believe that there is a reality in the spiritual world that's, mm. even though we can't see it, nonetheless mm. real. Mm. And uh, so, so out of that idea, borrowing that backup from Tim Keller, the statement that Jesus is real and true and demands a response from us is the same thing as saying there's a tree in the middle of the road and you have to swerve, right? Yeah. If Jesus is who he said he was, yeah. you cannot afford to just pretend like he's not there, mm. right? What mm. you do with Jesus is, you know, yeah. it's, it's eternally determinative, right? Mm. It, eter it, it determines something mm. about where you're mm. going to spend mm. um, your eternity. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's some of the passion that was coming out for me is the fact that when we get Jesus wrong, mm. it's not, it, it's way worse than getting the tree wrong. Yeah. Because the tree can ruin your life, but getting Jesus wrong can spoil your eternity. Mm. And we want we want people to spend eternity with Jesus. Yeah. And that's why we want to them to know him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. That's so good. You know, I think about also how the 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 name God or saying the Lord is is much less threatening to people than the name of Jesus. Mm. And uh, I'd encourage people, you know, you can go on YouTube and look a lot of the man of the street videos and always uh, you ask people, almost always you ask people, do you believe in God or higher power? Like, like, yeah, God, God, God. But as soon as you, and they're all okay with that. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, because it demands a response, like you said, hmm. because it's, if you believe and if you <laughs> accept Jesus, then you accept so much more than, oh, there's just a higher power, right? Yeah. And that's why. That, that question, like you said, that's a great question to ask people. It just said as an evangelistic question, what do you do with Jesus? Right. You know, as you're getting in a conversation with somebody and there's some spirituality talk and then you can, they're kind of open. It's a great question because they have to respond. Right. Oh, I, you know, what do you, everyone does something with Jesus. Either right. they reject him, they accept him, they kind of, they pretend to accept him, but live their own way. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. It is like a tree in the road and we need to be willing to draw people, um, at a minimum to that question, pull them into that question. What do you do with Jesus? Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm glad you brought that up because God, God is a concept that for some people can live in philosophy mm -hmm. and just, it's these high 10,000 foot view type mm -hmm. conversations. We are, God is everywhere. Right. All that, yeah. But when you start talking about Jesus, it's, it's making a claim that God acted in, time and history in mm. a decisive way to reveal mm. himself. That's and right. so you're, you're not left, you're not able to sort of disagree about, Oh, you know, do all religions, it contains some truth. And mm -hmm. what's the deal? Mm -hmm. You have to deal with historical realities. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I love studying Luke is because we're studying the historical yeah. accounts, the mm -hmm. historical realities of Jesus and God interacting with humanity. And, 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 you know, something you mentioned in your sermon too, is that if we accept Jesus, that means we accept our need for Jesus as well, mm. right? We, our need for a savior. Yeah. And that's what people, people, that's a huge, um, just, uh, reservation things that block people from coming to the Lord mm -hmm. is they, they need to have their eyes open to their need for a savior. Absolutely. So that's, that's good. So, uh, one thing I, you know, I want to jump into a couple kind of more logistical nerdy questions uh, before we dig in. <laughs> Very good. Uh, first one is um, one of the things that you showed early on was the timeline of things that happened before this, this account. Yeah. But it's interesting because this story happened super early in the book of Luke. 
and and you had had listed a number of things that happened before, and then um, but if you look at Luke, some of those things seem like they happened later, mm-hmm. and so help me help us understand some of that those timeline things with the other gospels. And yeah, things. of course. Yeah. yeah. So we've we've already remarked on the podcast a little bit that Luke has ordered his material generally in a chronological sense, right? So he mm-hmm. starts with Jesus's mm-hmm. birth, ends with Jesus's death and resurrection, but. In the in-between times, Luke is organizing his his sources and his source material not only uh, chronologically, but also theologically. Mm. So he, he's not um, just giving us GoPro footage, excuse me, of what, of what happened in Jesus's life. He's, he's organizing it with care to help us see something important. And so, um, you know, the fact that Luke takes this story of Jesus coming back to his hometown and moves it to the beginning of Jesus's ministry. We shouldn't freak out about that. We should just recognize, Hey, Luke wants us to see something about this. That's going to be the the word that a lot of the commentaries use programmatic Mm -hmm. in Jesus's Mm -hmm. ministry. And my, my sense and in my study, it was the fact that Jesus was rejected. Mm. Jesus came to his own, but his own rejected him. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. language reflected in John's gospel in the beginning. Um, And, uh, and, and then ultimately we see the people of Nazareth, the people who should have loved Jesus, who should have accepted him, who should have received him. They try to kill him. And that's also foreshadowing Mm -hmm. of how Jesus's ministry is going to end. Mm -hmm. And um, Luke, so Luke wants us to know right off the get go uh, that Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's mm-hmm. identifying Jesus mm-hmm. with the suffering servant of Isaiah in, in that mm-hmm. sense. And so um, as far as the timeline is concerned, if you guys are curious about that, or if there's anybody who wants to dig more deeply into that, mm-hmm. there are lots of fantastic harmonies on the Gospels. And um, there's a reason we don't use harmonies of the Gospels while we preach. And that's because there's nuance in each story that's that we want to allow to speak for itself, but to do a study like this or to look at how this text falls in, in a actual chronology of Jesus mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. you can check out, uh, I, I used Allen's harmony of the gospels. Uh, and I actually cited that in my sermon slides. So you can go back to that spot, find where I've cited it. And what they will do is they'll give you sections that, uh, align with, you know, stories in the gospel and their parallels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and then they'll put them in a chronological order. Um, but there's, there's lots of other good harmonies out there mm-hmm. that are helpful for those sorts of studies. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. And I think sometimes as Americans, we view, uh, truth or how things happen very in, in a timeline fashion that mm-hmm. has to match a specific timeline in order for it to be 100% true. And so people will often try to poke holes, but there's so much more depth when you start to understand that, that there, there's beauty in the in the theological truth that's unraveled when when you as you piece these stories together. Yeah, there, there's beauty in, in looking at how these stories were told from different vantage points and, and different things throughout the gospels. Absolutely, and it actually adds more color to the actual truth. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to doubt the fact that okay, maybe the story happened a little later and it's moved here, but there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that because it's helping us understand a bigger, like you said, theological truth about Christ and who He is. And so, absolutely. But the reason I brought that up is because I was sitting as I was listening, I was thinking to myself, if I was somebody who maybe I was a visitor mm-hmm. or if I didn't understand some of these, these deeper things and I was, I had doubts, uh, it, it, I, that would be something that I would be, okay, wait a minute. 
this is how, how did this, all this other stuff that happens later, how did it all happen before? Help me understand that. So yeah. that's why it's worth mentioning. So absolutely. I, that's, Alan, you said is Alan, A L A N D. Okay. Alan. It's this okay. big, it's like an eight and a half by 11 blue hardcover book, maybe oh, like an inch thick. Okay. It's super fun. If anyone I'll, wants to check it out, I'll have to check it out. I've never, I never looked at come, that. come to my office. Okay. I've got office hours and we'll, we can, I'll take you up on that. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we had a, actually a listener question come in, yes. and um, I would encourage you, all you listeners out there, send in your questions. Uh, there, there's no question that uh, is a bad one, so send them in, and we will, we will, uh, you know, ask them and, and discuss. Uh, so, you you had talked about the the traditional synagogue and, and how that was mm-hmm. was laid out, and and one of the things that was mentioned in this question was, um, how did uh, how did the order go? Did synagogues did they follow um, reading and teaching books expositionally? Uh, did they did they go through a whole book and work through it? Uh, how, what what was the format? What did that look like? Start talking to that um, yeah. because I, I think it's helpful for us to understand that context, especially because Jesus opened up the scrolls, handed the scroll, opened it to this passage. Did he handpick it? Was was it just where they happened to be? You know what? Right. You know those types of things. Yeah. So that, this is a good question, and I spent. I mean, several hours uh, reading about Hmm. ancient synagogue practice, which was very frustrating because people disagree. So if you um, like, for for example, I was watching a YouTube video that talked that just so happened to talk about this exact question. And according to that person, um, yes, there was this really strict uh, reading schedule and they had like almost a lectionary for anybody who has a more liturgical background mm-hmm. uh, a lectionary is a list of passages that you would read on certain days or in certain weeks um, from different portions of scripture and then throughout the whole year you would make it through the bible or throughout mm-hmm. the course of mm-hmm. a couple of years sort of like what we do with our daily devotions yeah. except imagine that there's also one for sunday and it's just right in line with yeah. all the rest of them okay and then that would be what we preach out of How, however um, I checked out a couple of scholarly articles, actually, um, which I don't always do when I'm preaching, but for, for something like this, I did. So I, I was reading an article called The Ancient Synagogue Service from the University of Chicago Press. And according to the, the more scholarly works that I checked out, um, the development of ordered reading that would have been you know, sort of set in advanced was mm-hmm. a little bit later than Jesus or maybe a lot later than Jesus, depending on who you read. Okay. So most likely someone chose the passage that Jesus read. Uh, but then there's the question of, was that, would that have been Jesus or would that been, have been, you know, the attendant or mm-hmm. one of the people in the synagogue? Um, but and here, here's, oh, a, here's a mic yeah. drop. Even if it was, it was Jesus maybe by default because he's God, you know, he's sovereign. <laughs> so, Yes, yes, I suppose in a roundabout sense. In a roundabout sense. I'm just kidding. Carry on. I, I yeah, so I think f- from so so then this the second source that I checked is called uh Craig Keener's. He's the author. It's his um it's his comment uh Bible backgrounds commentary. Mm. New Testament Bible backgrounds commentary by Craig Keener. He is an incredible scholar. Uh super helpful book and he argues that Jesus probably did not choose Mm. the scroll that he was handed. Mm. So most likely he was handed a scroll um, by the attendant 
and that that scroll was picked out and maybe they were reading through Isaiah. What, what we do know is that there were different readings from different portions of scripture and that different synagogues in different areas followed different orders of service or different reading yeah. schedules. So it's, it's hard to say, like I, I've heard that some people are like, Oh man, you know, if Jesus was reading this in Isaiah, then that means he was reading this in the old Testament and all these things. And they sort of like, you know, attach all of them with red string and they mm-hmm. pull, pull this theological conclusion out of it. I think we should be tentative about that. Um, uh, but suffice it to say, Jesus could have opened up to any, you know, any scroll to yeah. any passage and used it as a way to point to himself as the Messiah, because all of scripture is pointing to God's revelation of himself and his character in Jesus. Right. So Jesus picks a, you know, a slam dunk passage, but yeah. <laughs> there, there's no bad passage when you're trying to point to yeah. our need for a savior mm-hmm. and our need for the Messiah and Jesus Christ. So, mm. yeah, I, uh, it was really interesting researching that. Yeah. Um, I was frustrated, like I said, because there just wasn't a ton of clarity. And so I was really hesitant to make much of it in my mm. sermon because of that lack of clarity. Yeah. 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 All right. Next question. Jesus. Um, so Jesus is, he's the almighty God. He, we learn in scripture that he was there at creation all through him. All things were created. Yeah. Somehow he, he became, he came down as a man mm-hmm. and became the, 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 a man dwelling among us. And, and all this is true. Um, but it's interesting because there, it's hard for us to grasp Jesus yet. We, as well as his hometown, and even Satan put him in a mold. Yeah. His hometown, they, they thought they understood who Jesus was, right? They saw him growing up, all these things. Even Satan, in the temptation account, he thought he understood Jesus. He put him in a mold. We have that, that temptation, and we often, we can't wrap our mind around who God is, and so, and through who Christ is, so we, we put him in a mold. What's the mm-hmm. danger in that? What, what, what happens when we do that, and, 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 and why is that a bad thing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say one danger. Yeah, it's so interesting because uh, so I would say that this is a this is a road where there's a ditch on both sides. Mm -hmm. So you can be too sure about about certain aspects. That's where the box comes in. You, You can be overly dogmatic, overly you know, sure. But you can also uh, have unhealthy kinds of doubt and, you know, self-critical yeah. tendencies. So on the on the one side, um, to put Jesus in a box, it, it's it's wrong and it's it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. it's because, uh, like I said in the sermon and like you just mentioned, Jesus, he defies our imagination. I mean, even to try to designate and and parse out what's going on in the incarnation, what's Mm -hmm. going on in the union of the persons of the Trinity. These are things that we cannot put in a box. There there are great logical proofs, very interesting things that you can think about when it comes to all this stuff. And, you know, believers have been doing wonderful work thinking about it well for centuries, Mm -hmm. but to pretend like we can, domesticate God to, to pretend that we can master, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's dangerous because it's, it's coming out of an impulse to control God. Yeah. It's coming out of an impulse to want God to somehow fit into my life in a way that's convenient for me. Mm. Um, 
so, so sometimes that desire to understand mm. is actually a desire to control. Mm. And that's not to say that we shouldn't understand things about God or that we shouldn't get to know Jesus. Of course, that's the point of the series. But it is to say that when you are so sure and when you have confined God to a box, um, you, uh, you, you often will be dogmatic about things that you shouldn't. Mm. Uh, and, and that's not only harmful to uh, yourself because you could be wrong about some of those things that you're being dogmatic about, but it can be harmful to others as well because mm. you're putting out unnecessary stumbling blocks. Yeah. H- having grown up around Christians um, and going to a Christian school, this was one thing that really, really frustrated me about the box that people would try to put Jesus in is because I saw dozens and dozens and dozens of my classmates and my friends reject Jesus Mm. because of someone else's box. Yeah. Um, Mm. and the reality is, is that there are so many wonderful ways to follow Jesus. And there's so many traditions in the Christian church that are orthodox Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are wonderful and that disagree about what should go in the box. Right. And so, you know, to get all dogmatic about it and to pretend like our box is the only box, it really can cause people to reject Jesus for someone that he isn't. That's right. And that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we as a church need to be really careful yeah. about that. Um, but, but then, you know, there's there's the other side of the path as well where we don't want to. You know, I'm not saying that we should pretend like we don't know anything. I'm not saying that we should strip down everything to the bare essentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately I I had one line in my sermon where I said, um, we don't need to put Jesus in a box because he's already revealed to us everything that we need to know about him in the scriptures, right? The scriptures are an incredible resource to us. So rather than putting Jesus into a box, just say, whatever the Bible says about him, I'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, now that Mm -hmm. doesn't solve all the issues, but that, Mm -hmm. I think that's much better Mm -hmm. than trying to create a box. Mm. It's good. Yeah. I, I, the thought came to my mind. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Sometimes I think we, um, sometimes I think that we as, uh, Christians as humans, we can't wrap our mind around the infinite God because he's infinite. And so there's so much about Jesus and his character that, um, is, it's hard for us to grasp. And so we often focus on one aspect of who Christ is. So I think that there's an importance of that's why the body is so important because I'll have seasons in my life where I'm so focused on maybe spiritual disciplines, what God's calling me to, but I'm missing out on the part of, of God's grace and his love for me mm. and having other people in my life that maybe they're in a season where they're really pouring it. They're, they're really tapping into the love of Christ and these different aspects. And so in some ways, the body of Christ can carry a lot more of focusing on different aspects of who, and it protects us from putting Jesus in our own version. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, you know, our boxes, a lot of times they come from our traditions. A lot of times they come from our inclinations or personality. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, so commonly you've got a person who's very intelligent, very heady, you know, loves to study the word, but they're, you know, when someone starts saying, Hey, I think God might be telling me something, then they get all freaked out. Cause they're like, you know, my box does not have room for God talking to people. Mm. And yet, you know, even we're, we're reading through the Old Testament, the number of times that it said, 
God said to David or David sought the Lord and God said this. Um, You're right. Is I mean, it's challenging even for me because I'm like, man, I do not hear God Mm. like that that Mm. often or that regularly or that Mm. clearly Mm. uh, to be able to write down. Here's what God was saying to me. I mean, maybe like a handful of times in my whole life. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's that's good. Yeah, you're 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 totally right. Yeah. Let's keep going with that box thing. So you had boxes on stage. Yes, I did. Tell me, man, where did that idea come from? That was that was it was good. The 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 I'm a prop guy myself. I enjoy good props, so <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. It helped me connect. And so, yeah, where where did that idea come from? Talk us through a little bit about the the, the boxes in your mind. Yeah. So the boxes. I, I thought of the boxes seven days i think before i would i was preaching so it it was it was late in the week before i was preaching Mm. um and i'm trying to remember how i came up with the idea i think that oh man there there's a there's a somewhat similar illustration that andy stanley uses in a series that he has on marriage Mm. but he's unpacking a box so he has a box on stage and he's saying you know, these are the expectations that you have for your spouse and how yeah. those expectations can be unhealthy. Um, and I, so I had that background mm-hmm. in my mind. I don't think that that's where the idea came from, although I remembered it very soon after I had the idea, but just, I, I thought it would be a powerful way of demonstrating for people on the one hand, some of the absurdity of the the people of Nazareth to be like, really, that that's all that you think Jesus is. We, we can all agree that that's ridiculous. Mm. Uh, but I always planned to have the second box because I, I wanted, I, I wasn't trying to like trap people, but mm-hmm. I, I wanted people to feel yeah. how ridiculous it was. And then to be confronted with some of the things that they wouldn't associate with mm. You know, I, I had that, that I've written this into my understanding of who Jesus is. And yet I think so many of us, you know, if you, if you notice a lot of the things that were in the box, they're not character qualities about Jesus. They're mm. not doctrinal statements about who Jesus is. And yet it's about us. A lot of it, right. It, it's yeah. about us, but mm. we have so woven our hopes mm. and dreams for our life into our hopes and dreams about who Jesus is mm. and what he's going to do. Mm. It's the same thing as what was happening in Nazareth. And so, um, I, uh, I, w- I knew I wanted to have some story or illustration in my mm. sermon because that really helps people to grasp it. And I'd never done an object illustration and I already had the sword. And so it, that, it kind of oh, like yeah. all swirled in together That's good. from that. Um, yeah. I really appreciated that the perspective of everything, especially starting with Nazareth, everything in that box that you were putting in there were things that they wanted Jesus to do for them. Yeah. It was very, it was very me focused. And then you transition to our box and it was just like, the American dream and all these things that we think God wants, we hope God wants to give us. And it's, it's very, it's very us centered. Mm. Uh, and you're right. There wasn't, wasn't much about the box talking about a character quality of Christ himself is somehow we associate that as, as who Jesus is for us. So what, some of the things I noticed in the box, they weren't inherently bad individually, right? What's, where's the rub with that? Yeah. That's a really good question. I, I actually had several people ask me that question like over dinner or over lunch after I mm-hmm. preached 
saying, okay, I, I can track with you, but is it wrong to want those things? Mm. And, and when, how, how can I know that something has become, um, unhealthy? Yeah. Because, and let me just say, it's not wrong to want to have a good life. It's not wrong to want to be comfortable. Um, the, the problem is when your desire for that piece of comfort or that accomplishment uh, becomes an endeavor in and of itself. Mm. Uh, everything that we do as believers is for the glory of God. Yeah. So if you're going to be married get married for the glory of God. If you're going to be single, be single for the glory of God. If you're going to have a job, have a job for the mm. glory of God. If you're going to make money, ha- make money for the glory of God. And you know, all, like all these things, if you're going to be healed, be healed to God's glory. If you're going to be sick, be sick to God's glory. Everything that we do should point back mm. to Jesus. And that makes sense when it comes to our successes, right? We, we can understand, yes, I want, you know, <laughs> In the illustration, I said, I, you know, I at least need to make more money than the people living around me so that they can see that following Jesus is a successful thing to do. Um, hmm. Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe uh, there's some validity to that. But the problem is that if if that gets taken away, how do you respond? Yeah. Right. If you don't, if, if that stuff doesn't happen, right, hmm. if if your entire box goes up in flames, what do you do? Uh, do you freak out? Do you reject Jesus? Do you say, God, I thought you were watching out for me. Why have you allowed these things mm-hmm. to happen? And again, some of that is even mm-hmm. within the bounds of biblical lament. Yet, um, far too often, we pursue those things just because we want them. Mm. And just because we know that it will help us to feel good. Yeah. And my suspicion is that in America that has been an excuse not to do hard things in Jesus name. Mm. And that's the danger. You know, that's the danger is mm. it's not wrong to want to get married. It's not wrong to want to have kids. It's not wrong to want to have, you know, a s- sexual fulfillment. Like all these things are good gifts from God. But when they start becoming things that I can have to feel better about myself rather than good gifts from God, mm. uh, that's where you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you you may have heard it said before, as soon as the gift becomes more of an, of a present than the giver. That's, that's where you're starting to get things out of place. Mm. And honestly, the, the biblical language for the box, if we, you know, we're referring to it that way is idolatry. Ultimately, when Mm. you, when you have things that are sharing the throne of your heart with Jesus, that's Mm. called an idol. And so if having kids or, or, uh, getting married or having that job or being with that person, if that is vying for your love, against Jesus, if it's vying for the throne of your heart against Jesus, then it's an idol and it's, you know, and you need Mm. to take your box of idols and lay them down in order to experience the life that Jesus wants for Mm. you. Mm. Um, the hard thing is that of, of course that life may involve lots of pain and difficulty because if we're following the suffering servant, Mm. uh, we need to be willing to suffer, um, or, or in, in the case of Nazareth, you know, they did not, they had no concept of, first of all, Jesus being the Messiah was a joke to them. But second of all, if there was going to, if Jesus was going to be the Messiah, he was going to be a macho man, kill the Romans, rah, rah, sword mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shield type mm-hmm. Messiah, not a beaten, bloodied, 
you know, sacrificing himself kind of Messiah. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of road that we, we choose as well when we follow Jesus. Mm. I've, I've quoted it before, but of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the cost of, of discipleship, mm. when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's very against the narratives in our culture that say when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and find his best life. Mm. There's elements of truth in both, but um, ultimately we're called to carry a cross, not a 401k yeah. or, you know, insert that's random good. piece of American. That's, that's a tweet stuff. right there. You have Twitter. That's a tweet. <laughs> I don't do Twitter. Yeah. But Jesus says, carry a cross, not your 401k. I like yeah. that. Um, so how do you know, help us understand and, and realize maybe with your own thoughts, and I don't know that we have a good answer to this, but when, when is something becoming an idol? Mm-hmm. Like, what are some markers in our lives that we know? Like maybe I'm putting this in the box. Maybe I'm trying to make G- make Jesus like a vending machine, right? Yeah. And, and I'm, yeah. or things are becoming an idol. Some it's a good thing becoming a God in my life or, or, or taking my love. Like you said. What are some markers that we can look out for? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I would say, so this is, you know, maybe I'll try to relate this to when something in my marriage is becoming the object of the marriage rather than a blessing to it. Mm. So in my relationship with joy, sometimes I'll give her gifts. Sometimes she'll give me gifts uh, or or then, if, you know, th- there's lots of different relational dynamics that ha- have this element where mm-hmm. if if this element of my relationship becomes the reason that I'm in it instead of the other person, you know, if, if I'm objectifying the person in order to get the thing, mm-hmm. then we have our loves out of order. Similarly with with God, if we're objectifying God or if we're just using God as a means to the end of receiving these things, mm-hmm. that is a telltale sign mm. that you have <laughs> you're using God as a means, not as an ends. And God is the end of yeah, the everything that That's exists. Right. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, that and then also uh, how you respond when um, when those things are endangered. So like for, for Nazareth, mm. when Jesus started to poke at their, at their misconceptions, at their box, they freak out and they try to kill him. They have no patience for it, no tolerance. So you can pay attention to your own emotional responses to things. Mm. Am I getting unnecessarily worked up or am I getting angry or, f- or fearful or stressed out in an undue way mm. when this is threatened? Mm. Um, you know, and and I think, uh, I because I, I think that there's a difference between having a healthy attachment to things and living for those things. Yes. And when, when you're living for those things, that's when it begins to get get dangerous. Even if you don't react, you feel that when you feel that welling up in your heart that oh, I can't, I can't let this go. Like right, a desperation. Yeah. And and honestly, I I may have told this story in a sermon before, but the prime example for me was. You know, Joy was pregnant with our first pregnancy was horrible, very complicated, and it was during COVID. So nobody could come into the doctor's offices with us. We're two. We're like 22 years old. First first kid. And the doctors are like, yeah, you know, Joy has a potentially life threatening condition. Mm. And I'm just like, what? 
I, you can't do that to me. Like you can't say that to me. I can't live without joy. I can't, mm. you know, just the, the thought of, mm. and the prospect of losing my wife and my daughter or, or either one mm. was just wrecking my world. Mm. And in that moment I had, I was confronted with a choice. It was an opportunity for me. Am I going to get angry with God? The, the way that the question came to me was, is God still good if this happens? And if I can't answer yes, then that's an idol. Mm. If I can't answer unequivocally, yes, God is still good. Then mm. that means that something's out of order. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's an immediate <laughs> thing. It's, mm. I mean, lots of tears yeah. um, were shed in that situation at, just at the prospect of that happening. And that's not even, you know, mm. it turned out great. It was yeah. awesome. Um, and that's not true for everybody. Mm. And so I recognize that humbly, like people... Yeah are going through very difficult, I mean, just unimaginably difficult circumstances. Mm. But it doesn't change the reality that God is still good and he's still there and he mm. still wants to use your whole story, including these moments that you would have written out <laughs> yeah. to point to himself. Mm. It's good. Yeah, and, and I think about things that I that people enjoy doing and trying mm -hmm. to gauge how do those become idols. You know, let's, let's pick on golf. I'm right. not a golfer, so we can pick on the golfers. I golfed last week, so we'll pick on you. Then. Bring it on. Yeah. All right. If your mind is filled constantly with golf mm -hmm. and it, it, uh, it absorbs every, you wake up and you, you go to sleep and all you're thinking about is your swing, your new golf club, your new pair of golf shoes, whatever it is. And it, and it begins to consume your mind and every, every thought. Now, I'm a daydreamer. I'm a researcher. I enjoy hobbies. I enjoy thinking through things. But there is a, definitely a moment when it becomes all-consuming. That's when you got to start asking the questions. Is this becoming more than uh, just something I enjoy doing? And then I think another question for me that I often, I often ask myself is, is this activity driving me to worship? Or is it driving me to worshiping the, the, the activity itself? Yeah. So am I enjoying golf? And I'm enjoying creation. And I'm going, God, thank you for this like beautiful day. I'm having awesome fellowship with these guys and I'm having a great time golfing. There, there, there's almost a worshipful posture in that versus someone who's all they're thinking about is golf and, and it becomes all consuming. <laughs> yeah. The, the opposite would be you're in worship and you're just, you know, you're singing about God, but you're thinking about golf, that's right? right? Yeah, that would be like yeah. the opposite. That's right. And, and have I done that? Not with golf, other things I'll confess. I, I oh, have, for sure. For sure. So, um, let's keep it personal. What are some things that you sometimes put in your box? Yeah, man. Um, so honestly, my personal life is where a lot of the elements in the box came out of hmm. um, or, or from points in my life. So I have struggled personally with everything hmm. that was in the box on Sunday. Um, and I had I could tell stories about every single element, uh, every single prop from my own life. Um, yeah, I, I think that honestly, one thing that I've really wrestled with has been that narrative of sexual fulfillment. That was the one that was maybe most for me because when I was growing up, I don't know if someone told me this or how I got these impressions, but the, the narrative that I heard and I know it's, it's really popular to talk about like purity culture right now. And that's, that's not where this is headed. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know that purity culture did me any favors, but 
the, the idea that you just wait and then you'll just get just the the most home run sexual fulfillment all the time once you get married like i felt like that was the deal is i yeah, sit on my hands right. yeah, and sure. then i just like full blast for the rest of my life just the wildest whatever you know um and as it turns out that's not how it works i was gonna say this is not a comedy <laughs> podcast man. no i uh but and what i've wrestled with is you know just wrestling with those expectations yeah. with my spouse, mm. with joy and just working through, you know, what is this all about and how, so like what was most troubling for me mm. is my internal emotional response to doing the right things. Right. And, and, mm. uh, because I was, I would get so frustrated. And so, and then I was frustrated that I was frustrated and I was like, man, what am I supposed to do about this? And, you know, I'm, you know, God has given me all these feelings, right? And I'm, I'm not, I can't control my, you know, what's going on inside of me. And so what am I supposed to do? Supposed to do? I thought yeah. this was, you know, all yeah. these sorts of things. Mm. And you know, at the end of the day, you, I remember hearing before I got married about the need for chastity in marriage, which is, I know is an old fashioned word, but it's so true. Like chastity and purity. Yes, of course, outside of marriage is necessary, but that that need does not end in marriage because it's not just this constant stream of mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. constantly like available sexual expression. Um, there are elements of that in marriage and marriage includes sex, but marriage is not about sex. Yeah. And that was a turn that was painful and mm-hmm. hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that uh, for a lot of Christians today, if we were honest, we would talk trash about the prosperity gospel, but when it comes to our sex lives, we have ridiculous expectations yeah. as as it pertains to the success mm. or the or how we gauge success. Yeah, how we gauge success in the mm. in the bedroom, and so mm. that, that as a young married guy, that's a huge thing that I that I wrestled with. I appreciate you sharing that because I think I know you're not alone. There are a lot of people that are struggling with that. And it's not talked about much. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I I think let me just make it clear. Some people would say, "Oh, well, that's because one person is being difficult." That's not the reality. That's mm-hmm. not. It's not a person's fault, mm-hmm. right? It's not mm-hmm. my fault. It's not mm-hmm. Joy's fault. It's just the reality of <laughs> being married. So yeah, anyway, yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate the vulnerability. Um, <clears throat> shifting a little bit. Sure. Um, are we are we good on time? A couple more minutes. Yeah, yeah. we got. We got, we got time. At, at we got least. Time. We got another hour, yeah. folks. Better strap in. <laughs> We've got minutes, not hours. All but. right. So unpack the, the tension, the Gentile and Jewish tension uh, yeah. that, that we see um, a little bit in, in, you know, this story. And they were very upset. Right. Jesus was mm-hmm. here. The Messiah is supposed to be the, the, the Jewish Messiah. What is this? Yeah. All this talk. And there's all this tension that we see. We're going to see it throughout Luke. Right. We're going to see this Gentile Jewish tension. And there's times when it's on, on the forefront. There's times it's in the background, but it's always there. Yeah. Uh, and it's why the gospel is so powerful. Talk, it kind of shed some light on that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I think someone who's really early in their walk with Jesus or, or really does not know a whole lot about 
the Bible, they yeah. might read the story and be like, why were they, why were they so upset? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even felt that a little bit as I was reading, I'm like, man, that's kind of an overreaction guys. Yet, um, just like you've, you've expressed, um, this thought that the Messiah was here for Israel, um, was the dominant theme in, in that day. Uh, and what's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, there are moments and there are foreshadowings of the fact that God's desire is to have a family that's uh, from all the nations of the world, not just one ethnic group. And there are motifs of, of the inclusion of other ethnicities into God's family, the people of Israel. Um, and yet, I think that a lot of the disappointments that the people of Israel had through their periods of exile and being conquered and being living, you know, living Mm -hmm. underneath the Romans Mm -hmm. exacerbated this, um, sense that man, the Gentiles are against us. It's an us versus them kind of thing. And God is on our side because he's our God and God is against all Gentiles because they are coming and making war against us. Um, and so it was very, uh, politicized it was mm. starkly divided it was very partisan you know i mean we think about mm. the um you know, how much in america we've kind of formed two extreme sides um we can't even touch the kind of divide that existed yeah. in ancient israel when it comes to jews and gentiles or jews and samaritans mm. you know they would as the story of the, you know, people sometimes talk about this when they talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. Jews would, like, they would go miles and miles and miles out of their way so that they didn't have to walk through Samaritan territory. Um, and so that would be like if I'm in Illyria and I need to get to Cleveland, but I hate Avon. I just, like, I can't stand the people of Avon. I would, like, drive all the way south around Avon, like through North Ridgeville and like, just go totally out of my way to get into Cleveland just for no reason, only because I don't like them. Cause I don't want to associate with them mm. or because I think that they're impure somehow. Um, and so rather than, you know, the purity laws and the, the culture of Israel to be this thing that was alluring to the world, yeah. like, Hey, God has revealed himself to us in this special way. Why don't you come and be a part of it? It became this exclusive thing. Mm. And uh, that developed over the centuries. And so then Jesus comes to mm-hmm. fulfill the law, to reveal God's real heart for the world and his, his true um, desire for all people. Mm-hmm. And it totally uh, mm-hmm. upsets the stuff that they had cobbled together. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was, it was uh, considered blasphemous, which mm. is why they had such a strong reaction uh, against it. Um, did, do you think it went both ways? Do you think the Gentiles hated the Jews that were lived around them? Or do you think they just felt like they had to watch over their shoulders? That's <clears> a good <throat> question. Uh, I, I and There was definitely animosity because mm-hmm. you had groups of assassins trying to go after each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that element actually is maintained in the Chosen fairly well, I think. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on like, yeah. early Ro- Roman culture or first century Roman culture. The, the, the um, snapshots we get, you know, like the, I think of the, the Samaritan woman talking about like, what do you mean? Like, you know, yeah. what are you doing here? And 
we worship here, you worship there, those types of things. There was a lot of those those things going on, mm-hmm. and, and it definitely felt like we are the attacked ones, and so we are now on the defensive. It felt that way, at least. As, as yeah, for sure, yeah. It, there was there was definitely mutual disdain feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, no doubt. In fact, they wanted to kill him, which brings us to the, the end of the, the the narrative you read. Is that they 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 tried to shove Jesus off a cliff? That's right, off a high spot. But he walks to the crowd. What what happened there in your mind? And and I asked that because, you know, many people watch The Chosen and, yeah. and they depict it one way. And then other people read it as a very um, supernatural thing where right. he just kind of vanished through the crowd. I don't know. I'm interested. So I will say this. Until recently, mm-hmm. I assumed that it was a supernatural thing. So I don't know if that's something that I was taught early uh, and just had maintained and never really gone back and thought closely about it. Um, but I thought that, you know, Jesus just like disappeared or walk, you know, floated away mm-hmm. or something, something like that. Uh, as, as I was studying this question, the, the consensus seems to be that it had more to do with Jesus's gravitas and his authority, mm-hmm. excuse me, and his power. Mm hmm where the the people angry as they were eventually realized we are dealing with a person that we do not have power over mm. and whether they they were doubting you know, so i i will say this the so the chosen depicts this scene the way that they depict it is you know the townspeople are like really conflicted because yeah. they're like oh man we i guess we are supposed to stone jesus but you know we don't really want to yeah. the, the problem with that is from my research, so I'm just representing what I've studied. Um, the kind of blasphemy that Jesus was committing, it may have deserved execution, but the local synagogue did not have the authority mm. to perform execution. And so they're not, they're not thinking rationally as they're I doing see. this. Yeah. So, so the way that the chosen depicts it is like, Oh, well, I guess we're, you know, our hands are tied. We have to execute Jesus now when, um, from at least from my research, that that wasn't necessarily that that they didn't have that kind of authority, which is part of the reason why uh, at the end of the Gospels the Sanhedrin puts Jesus before the Romans because they want to have him crucified. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a part of the deal. Yeah. So, um, did Jesus miraculously leave, or didn't he? I don't know that it really matters. Yeah, I think you're right. The, I think the more significant observation is that we see uh, in the verses that precede this account, Satan is trying to get Jesus to enter to his box. <laughs> so he's like, Jesus, why don't you um, you know, bow down before me and I'll give you everything that you need mm. if you would just conform to my, what mm. I need from you. Uh, and Jesus, or sorry, and Satan is not able to stop Jesus. Satan can tempt Jesus. He can afflict him at his, you know, when he's at his, most physically weak point, but he can't stop Jesus. Jesus resists and goes on his way in the same way. The people of Nazareth try to get Jesus to conform to what they, Mm. what they have going on. Mm. And, uh, they resist Jesus. They reject him. They try to kill him, but they can't stop him. Uh, and so the takeaway here is not whether or not Jesus did a miracle. The takeaway is that when Jesus gives up his life, 
it is him who gives it up. That's right. It's you, obedience. He gives it up himself. Yes. Mm. You, no one could stop Jesus from going to the cross. No one could stop Jesus. Mm. No one could take his life. He gave it up. That's right. Uh, and so good. It's the power of Jesus, right? It, it, mm. At the end of the day, the reason that no one could stop him is because he was God and that, and that he, um, mm. he has the power and he has the authority to do what he set out to do. Mm. And by God's grace, what he set out to do was not settle down Mm. in Nazareth and create a kingdom um, Mm. of earthly stuff. It it wasn't to conform and confront the Romans. Uh, Jesus is, you know, he set his face like Flint toward Jerusalem because he wanted desperately to save us. Mm. Uh, And no one could stop him from doing that. (laughs) He was going to do it because he's God. And that's what he had determined Mm. to do. And Mm. that's, that's the beautiful thing to me. And there were miracles along the way. So maybe this is one of those. And there was a lot of mundane, just real stuff along the way. I, I, between, I probably tend to lean toward the mundane. I think that Jesus's presence, um, was just, um, powerful. Uh, there, there, it's not clear in the text that there was a miracle that happened. And so I, I hesitate to say like, oh yeah, he, you know, he floated through everybody. I think probably it was more mundane, but, um, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's good, man. So as we land this plane, yes. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up this statement from the beginning and tie it to a statement you said at the end. Um, we can't afford to ignore getting to know Jesus. You said that early on. Mm-hmm. And then you said the statement, which I thought was a mic drop statement. You could have just said, all right, amen, let's go home. <laughs> Jesus came to be crushed so that we could be healed. Mm-hmm. So if that's what we can't ignore... Why is that important? That's to me, yeah. when it says we can't ignore Jesus, what is Jesus? Ultimately, he was obedient and willingly he was crushed, came willingly to be crushed. Man, so he could be cry so we could be healed. Yeah. Why is that important? It's important because, oh man, there's so many good ways to I know. get into this. I, uh, Christians, we exalt Jesus and... Um, in the biblical story, there's a, there's an order to glory and it comes after suffering. Mm. Suffering precedes glory, uh, and suffering points to future glory. So, uh, in Philippians two, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself. That's the, that's the suffering. That's the humiliation And then at the end of this hymn about Jesus, he says, therefore God exalted him. Mm. There's the glory. And so we now serve an exalted Christ who still bears the scars from his suffering. And in the same way, we await glory. We look forward to, and we have a great hope in spending Mm. eternity with Jesus. And that's why we can suffer loss gladly on earth is because our savior suffered immeasurably and he conquered sin and death and was raised to life. Hmm. And we're going to follow that same pathway. This is what we celebrate in our baptism, that we die with Jesus. We're put into the water and that we raise with him to new life. And that life begins now, but it, uh, it will be consummated when we die in the body. Um, Mm. and we will 
be resurrected just like Jesus was and will have new life and in a, in a renewed creation in a restored creation. And, um, and so that's, that's why it's important is because I, I, I mean, there's two reasons. One, so many Christians want to dismiss the humiliation of Jesus or relegate it to Jesus's life mm. when we need to be willing to suffer for our savior who suffered for us. Yeah. Um, we need to be willing to, to recognize, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to have some long-term health complications. My life here is short and, um, it may not be everything that I want it to be. It's certainly not going to be everything that, uh, America says it should be, um, or that Western culture says it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what it can be is meaningful because I'm walking with Jesus and Mm -hmm. what it can be is hope filled because I know my savior who went before me. So we can welcome the crushing in our life because God is, is, um, mm. making new wine out of us. Mm. He's, he's, uh, he's, um, he, he's going to introduce glory in the midst yeah. of that suffering, just like he did for Jesus. Mm. And secondly, obviously Jesus being crushed so that we could be healed is some point, something we can't ignore because, um, our sin necessitated the brutal death of Jesus Christ. And he was not crushed for no reason. That's right. He was crushed because we have rebelled against God Mm -hmm. and God did not want us to carry on in rebellion. Yeah. He wanted us to be welcomed back into the courts of heaven. Mm. And so Jesus is cut off from life so that we can have life forever. And that's an invitation to every single human being to receive Jesus's death Mm. so that we can be forgiven of our sin so that we can be cleansed from our unrighteousness so that we can be healed forever Mm. in eternity. And of course, some of that healing is visited now, but ultimately the, the deepest healing that Jesus is longing for is for us, for our souls to be healed from the, from the tragedy and from the violence of sin mm. that's distorted and destroyed what God had intended for us. Um, and to ignore that is to, uh, is to ignore the best possible gift. And maybe I'll, I'll close with this. Um, there was a C.S. Lewis quote that I did not include, but that is very relevant. Mm-hmm. When we reject the death and the life of Jesus, it's like we're playing with mud pies Mm. in an alley, thinking that this is all that there is to life. I'm just going to be stuck in sin. I'm just going to be struggling. I'm just, or or maybe I'm just going to search after these passions and these things that make me feel good while the world burns and while my body deteriorates. We're playing with mud pies and, and we don't even understand that um, while we're content playing in the mud, there is this holiday at the beach that's offered to us. That's how um, yeah. Lewis states it. We, we've, we fool around with these base things, un, you know, not realizing that God is offering us everything that we were created to receive, mm. all the life that we were created to live. It's offered to us because of Jesus. So not only is it, um, are, are we 
damning ourselves when we reject Jesus, when we ignore Jesus. And that is the right word. We're damning ourselves, but we're also engaging in the biggest tragedy, Hmm. the biggest folly, because we're, we're, um, we're neglecting to receive the greatest offer that has ever been made in the history of history. So we shouldn't do that. We should, we should accept Jesus. We should receive him. We should surrender to him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm. And when we do that, we receive new life uh, in his name. Mm -hmm. It starts now. And uh, though our bodies are wasting away, we can be renewed inwardly day Mm. by day Mm -hmm. as we await um, the resurrection. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. I, I can't think of a better way to end it, man. That's <laughs> so good. Making me cry. It's such a good truth. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just unpacking a little bit of what God was revealing to you as you, you studied and did the hard work in the text and, and shared with us. It, mm. it really has meant a lot to me and I know it will mean a lot to a lot of people. So, uh, thanks. So this has been the cutting room floor podcast where we continue the the conversation uh, from the sermon on Sunday throughout the week. So I would encourage you, uh, if you like this, give it a, give it a like um, wherever you listen, wherever you find all your podcasts and uh, share it with somebody, give us a follow. We're trying to spread the word. And, uh, and, and this is really the best way that we can dig into the text beyond what we, what we do on Sunday. So folks, thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you have a great week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.